I want to talk to you tonight about something that is the co- a core belief that I have, which often uh, comes into what I believe about revival and what I believe God is trying to do on our planet. And so what I share with you comes from a core belief that I have spent a long time working out for myself and taking scriptures and parsing it out. I'll try to explain it in a way that will have some longevity with you as well. So it won't just be a teaching. My prayer is it sits in your heart and really creates a foundation to build off of. So here's a couple of things we've been looking at. I've got them on your worksheet. You can fill them out. We've talked about it three times in a row. But here it is again, God's expectation of position. So what I have been teaching is revival is not just a Friday night long service from 7 to midnight or a weekend service or an ongoing service where lots of cool things are happening, people getting saved or whatnot. Revival is a repositioning, and we've said that. You can go back and study it. God is trying to position me somewhere, and where He's trying to position me is under His wisdom. If you really wanted to assess what is revival, it is a human being coming up under the wisdom of God. And when a human comes under God's wisdom, watch out. Nothing can stop the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is all-powerful, and His wisdom is far beyond ours. So that is what we've taken four weeks to really build those thoughts. But let's jump into something. This is our main text. We've spent three or four weeks with this text. Matthew 16, 18. I say to you that you're Peter, this is Jesus, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And we've talked about the Jesus is building something. That word build means a house, that He is It's a public gathering when he says church. And we said last week that the word church is not a human idea. It's a God idea. When we talk church, we must, if we're going to evaluate what is church and we want to define it, we need to be careful because if not, we'll define it from our experiences. And church becomes defined by my experience. Church is and then however I grew up or whatever I was told or whatever the pastor did to me or whatever religion did to me, that becomes my definition of church. And then based on that, I will evaluate, is, is this meaningful to me? So I'll take my experiences, evaluate and define church, and then determine, is it meaningful and valuable to me? And if you start there, you may come out with, yes, it's valuable, it's how I was raised, I couldn't do without it. Or if you've been abused or had a bad experience with Christians or a preacher, you may say, yeah, I'm tapping out, I don't need church. Well, anytime we do that, we're already starting from a poor foundation because church is not uh, what men say it is. It's the wisdom of God. So I have to define it with what does God think, and we did that. And here's what we've landed on consistently. And by consistently, I mean we have... I've got a green box, a square box in green that God all the way through Christianity, all the way through the Bible, from Genesis on to Revelation, God is always trying to move people into a positioning, uh, get them up under His government, get them under His wisdom, and that God has always intended to do this. And we've looked at everything from the Garden of Eden. 
He did it that way. He put Adam and Eve in it, gave them the government, gave them the expectation, gave them the purpose. The same with Noah. He did the same thing with Noah. Here's the expectations. Here is the boat and there's my wisdom. He did the same thing in the wilderness when he brought them all together and told them how to camp and how they should set their camp up around this we would call the green box. It would be the temple and they were to the tabernacle and they were to camp around it. And then we come into the further into the Old Testament and we, we come where the temple is located and you're to come there and people gather at the temple. But by the time we come to the New Testament, we've got 39 books of this religious uh, dogma called Judaism of the Hebrew nation the Israelites, and Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, He introduces something almost totally foreign because He introduces that this Creator God that is Yahweh, the great I Am, is also a Father. And He introduces this, this thought of a Father into the picture. And in that, Jesus, you know His first words are, Repent, for the kingdom is coming. And then He lends into itself that, that I have come that you might find freedom. And in my words, you'll find freedom. My words are life. But he also said that this new thing called the church was a family, and this family had a father. And so this becomes what we call New Testament church. It's not just a, uh, a denomination. It is the wisdom of God. So when we sit here on this corner in this building, this, this is the public gathering. When we gather together publicly, in this building, we say we are believers church. But when we say that, we're under the wisdom of God, meaning that we're a family. We have the Father's purpose over our life. We have His government over our life and His wisdom over our life. Now, I want to take a few minutes and just tell you why this is so important. And this is what I meant at the beginning of what the, the foundation of my belief pulls everything off of this thought. And here it is. It's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So immediately, Paul takes us all the way back into eternity past. God had given him a mysterious plan God had downloaded that plan to Paul. So what Paul is telling us is there's something that came from the mind of God. God gave me His wisdom. God gave me His thoughts and God gave me His mind. But when He said that, He also pushed us all the way back to eternity past. He took us all the way back to the beginning of time. And so Paul says what I'm about to share with you right now is so powerful that it was in the mind of God before there was ever a human. It was in the mind of God before there was ever rebellion of Lucifer. It was in the mind of God before there was Adam and Eve. It was in the mind of God before there was ever sin. Because people will often ask this question, why did God make humans knowing humans would sin, which would therefore mean we need revival? They're in a sinful state. They need to be moved into a living state. So to try to answer that casually is difficult. I think we could do it, but it would become difficult. But when you understand that from the beginning of time, before there was ever a problem, ever a sin, before the devil obviously ever rebelled, 
there was this mysterious plan in the mind of the Creator that was a secret. That must mean that maybe the angels did not even know. And we know that to be true because Lucifer would have never crucified Jesus had he known. He would have never done that. So if he would have known the outcome would have been resurrection, but the outcome of the resurrection, I know on Easter that is the big deal. It's the outcome of the resurrection, but the outcome of the resurrection was not the end goal. That was his resurrection, but that's not the end. Because from eternity past, listen to what he says. God has had a purpose from the beginning of time. Before there was ever a man or woman, and his purpose was to use the church to display his wisdom. Now that in and of itself is enough to make you stop and go, we just need to go eat some pizza and think this through. Like, in God's mind, He's already thinking day of Pentecost. He's already thinking, put my spirit into humans. He's already thinking a public display of His wisdom, not in trees, but in fleshly beings that don't even exist yet. But those fleshly beings that don't exist yet, it is such in the mind of God that those human beings called Adam and Eve are really the seed of what will become the church. So that if you can ever wrap your mind around this thought, everything God was doing were seeds to birth the church. Because the church would display His wisdom. Is that, are we there? I don't want to go further without just letting that sink a minute. Because I think we're all working for something other than what God's working for. Because we're like, well, I just don't know what I think about church. God doesn't really care what you think about it. He has, he has had a purpose before you ever got your feelings hurt. He had something He wanted to do before a preacher messed it up. And he says of that, it's my wisdom. So here's my intimation of what I think. This is what I mean. This is the core of what I believe. I believe from Genesis 1 to Revelation, end of the book, I believe the entirety of the story is the mysterious unveiling of the purpose of the church. Why? That, that seems so, ugh, like, what do you mean? Like, the purpose of the church is so necessary because it is the wisdom of God, but the church cannot be the church without Christ being the head, but Christ is not the head of the church until He gives Himself for her in death, burial, and resurrection. So that everything God is going to do is going to be pushing Jesus to birthing the church. Everything, every story in the Bible where there is a public gathering of God's people, it is a seed of His eternal mind, church. So when He takes Adam and Eve, husband and wife, and He puts them in the garden, 
We call it Garden of Eden. But God, in His, now watch, in His eternal mind, He already is thinking church, even though it's a garden, because it's human beings with His image in a garden publicly, and they are supposed to multiply and take the world over. But that's very difficult to just start out that way because you, you think you could just start out with the church if the church is so powerful as to start with the church. And he can't start with the church because the church is Christ in human form. So he has to have humans. But to get Christ here, those humans have to fail. So when God makes the humans and puts them in the middle of a garden, God is thinking church, but He's thinking church 4,000 years from this moment, but this is what the church is. It is a location publicly of the image of God to display the wisdom of God, which is why the, the tree of wisdom and the tree of life was there, because the garden would display the life and the wisdom of God in the humans of God so that they could take the world over. But that could not be the church because the church has to be birthed out of the head of Jesus and has to be the body of Christ. So how do you have to get Jesus here? You have to have humans because Christ is flesh. So he creates these humans in this box. Those humans snub the wisdom of God. I don't need your wisdom. We know the story. They flunk and fail. So everywhere along the way that God is pushing His people into a gathering, the next gathering is going to be the ark. He pushes them into the ark. This little family. It's because the ark is going to display His wisdom and the ark is going to display His wisdom of how He'll deal with sin. So everything through the entire Old Testament is doing two things. It is to show you the necessity of God in the flesh for the forgiveness of rebellion. And the reasoning of that is to move a group of people into a public display of His wisdom. So by the time we come to Jesus Christ, we understand what God has been doing. He's, he's been setting all of this up. But He wasn't setting it up so there could be Jews. He was setting it up so there could be the church and the Church will be there. Now watch what, how it goes on. Verse 11. This, strange, this is a tough one. This was his eternal plan. Meaning he didn't just go after the resurrection. Oh, I need something to do. What could I do next? I guess I'll make a church. The church was his eternal plan from the beginning of time. Now, this, again, stretch your brain place a moment. If the church is the eternal plan, guess what? We have a job to do eternally. And if you've bought into once we're raptured, we just float around with wings, you've missed it. You don't get raptured to float around with wings. You will never get wings. You're not an angel, you're the body of Christ. So we humans do not inherit wings. What we are is the eternal body that's displaying His wisdom. Here's where it gets interesting. That wisdom that is being displayed 
Is it so that just people in Atlanta go, that's a really cool church, you should go there. They do some really neat stuff in our community. Because the reality of that is, the Lions Club does some really neat stuff in our community. Goodwill does some stuff. Red Cross does some really neat stuff. Douglas County Hospital does some really neat stuff. The Chamber does some really neat stuff. Watch what he says about the church. The church is going to display his wisdom in a variety to all the unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. In other words, right now, this public gathering of followers of Jesus is being looked upon by the spirit world. And we are a testimony to the spirit world of God's wisdom. They look at us. Now, here's the thing. When the spirit world looks at us, Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. It's impossible. How could it be impossible? Because the church is His wisdom and Lucifer cannot overcome the wisdom of God. He tried it. He crucified Jesus, but Jesus was Christ the wisdom and the wisdom just resurrected right back up. So if, if the church is the wisdom of God on display for all of the heavenly rulers and spirit beings to watch, then what is the key for the devil to destroy it if he's already been prophesied that his gates cannot overcome it? It's to do one simple thing, is to turn the wisdom of God into a human institution that is based upon human effort that gets rid of all the spiritual gifts and, it's, and illuminates the own ego of men and women to lead something. And I would say, and I would even comment of this place, I wonder how many demons are afraid of a public gathering. I wonder how many spirit beings are going, I might want to just stay away from that corner. I know what goes on there and I don't want to touch that. I don't know, but it, it does lend itself that the spirit beings that are out there, we are to be a display to them of God's wisdom. And when we are, they have no hold on us at all. No sickness, no disease can come nigh our dwelling because we understand it's not about my perfection. It's not about what I do. It's that I'm under His wisdom. So when I'm under His wisdom and something attacks me or comes against me or things don't turn out, I have to stop and go, okay, I just want your wisdom. Show me what your wisdom is. Now when we talk revival, it's impossible to talk revival without the local church. Because God's eternal plan has always been the church. So when we say, do you believe God is going to bring revival what we're literally thinking typically is we're thinking of all the sinful people out there that should repent and burn all their wickedness and come join a church. But revival is not that, in my opinion. Revival are the people sitting in the building who go, we should be the wisdom of God on display. So revival is not sinners getting saved. They don't, 
they're dead. Revival are people who should be alive, but they're living under their own wisdom rather than going, wait a minute, we need to get out of the walls and begin to walk in the world with the wisdom of God. And as we walk with the wisdom of God, we begin to attract other people and we bring them into the family of God. And when they come into the family of God, that's not the revival, that's called new life. That's called being born again. Revival is for the people that have been born again but forgot about the wisdom of God. They sit in church dead. They don't witness. They never go out. They never say anything. They just exist. And then they want a preacher to wow them and then they want to check a box when they come once a month and think, I did a good job. Because it's, it's just our wisdom. So what I would like to say is, when you think church, we need to think there is a supernatural power on this thing called church that the enemy cannot touch and it's the people of God. This is why Jesus said, if you want to see the world change, what I need is workers. Hear, hear me. Sin has never been a problem for him. Stubborn people have been. Lazy people have been. And religious people have been. He even called those people broods of snakes. Whitewashed graves. Because it's never the devil in sin, this issue has been paid for. It's the stubbornness of our own wisdom that will not. So when we ask the question, do we believe that there'll be an end time revival? The better question is, do we believe there will be an overwhelming majority of followers of Jesus who will repent and begin to live his wisdom? Because what I read in the Bible in the last days, many will depart from the faith. I don't read there's going to be an overwhelming revival. I read there's going to be an overwhelming departure. And so it makes us in the body go, well, if there's an overwhelming departure, I might need to check myself to make sure I stay revived up under the wisdom of God. So when we think revival, don't think sinners, think yourself. When you think revival, look in the mirror and go, me. Am I living His wisdom? Is my marriage living His wisdom? Am I fathering and mothering with His wisdom? Am I walking with His wisdom? Am I doing business with His wisdom? Am I waking up with His wisdom? Do I go to bed with His wisdom? Or do I just claim to be a follower of Jesus and I'm literally just ticked off all the time, mad all the time, frustrated all the time, anxiety out the, out, out the top of my head all the time because I'm religious but I'm not under wisdom. All right, let's look at this real quick and then we'll bring Michael up. So here's the thought that I want to give you that this little green box that's always been about his government purpose, it's been an eternal thought in God's mind. The garden was moving toward the church. The ark was moving toward the church. The wilderness wanderings, the tabernacle, all of it was pushing itself toward this eternal plan of God called the church. Let me read a few verses to you. We'll talk about these more in depth. We go now to Acts chapter 1, which we would say is the birth of the church. Now, I, I would like to challenge you with this. I don't think it's the birth of the church. The birth is the mind of God. 
It was birthed in His wisdom. Acts 1 is not the birth of the church, it's the revelation of wisdom. It's the unveiling of the mystery. So rather than, oh, this is when the church was birthed, I don't think that matters, but in, in thinking... The church wasn't birthed on the day of Pentecost. The church was birthed in the mind of God in eternity past, but ripped the veil to say, here's what's been in my mind since eternity past. Welcome. And when it showed up, it showed up with a bang. 3,000 people, 5,000 people it was just extraordinary, but I'll talk about it more later, but for tonight. Verse 1, chapter 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving His chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. And during the 40 days after He suffered and died, He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and He proved to them in many ways that He was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, even in this period of time after his resurrection, there's a lot of strange things going on because he doesn't just say, fellas, I'm alive. Go get them, boys. Is that what he does? No. Nope. He gathers them together and says, look, I need to teach you some stuff about the kingdom. But if we really had time to parse this out, what we would say is he brought them together and said, I got something for you. What? I need all you to gather and go in a room and sit there gathered, get into the little green box called the upper room and wait because I got something that's going to blow your mind. I'm going to bring the revelation of what's always been in the wisdom of God. So he proved to them that he was actually alive. So I wrote these down. I'm going to give them to you quickly. We'll discuss them more later. The elements of revival. If, we're, if we talk revival... We cannot talk revival. It would be like baking a cake but leaving off the flour and the sugar. So when we say the word revival, there's just certain things that must be in this wisdom of God. Number one, there needs to be proof that Jesus is real. It's called a testimony. Has anybody in here, as you have served Him, have you ever had proof He's alive in one way or another? It's expected. It's expected that there be proof. The life has been changed. The, the disease has left. The, the, the torment went away. Whatever the change would be, there must be proof that Jesus' work is real. So all these that say, well, the gifts have passed and this is gone, and I'm like, okay, whatever you believe, there, there must be a proof that He's really alive. Otherwise, we're just barking up a tree. Number two, there has to be an influence of the work, and the influence is the Holy Spirit. You cannot have revival without the Spirit of God. I don't know where the thought comes that the gifts have passed away and all of that, because it's the gifts that bring the influence to revive us. Those gifts that edify us to get busy about the kingdom... And then it takes doers. You have to do. And not only you have to do, you have to have teachers. I, I, I will say, at any time of history there's been revival, you will always find doers, people that are working hard, opening doors, cleaning up, catching people if they fall. And you will always have a teacher. 
God never does, and I say never, but that's strong. I think I believe it. I'll use it. He's never brought revival that he didn't leave somebody teaching. Because if he doesn't leave somebody teaching, we go weird quickly. I just want to feel everything. Well, yeah, you're going to have a cult in about a month, so you need a teacher. You need somebody that can say, that is not God. This is not God. That is, that's not. That's a teacher. Day of Pentecost. Oh, everybody's drunk. And Peter's like, well, I'm not drunk. I'm about to tell you what it is. So even on the day of Pentecost, God left somebody aware of what was going on so people could be taught. And then the final one is the kingdom's always the work. Now, anytime there's the elements of revival, you better believe the enemy is going to do his best to insert himself into this wisdom. So rather than the proof of Jesus' work, we just go, well, just be patient with me. He ain't done with me yet. I'm like, well, dude, he should be because you've been saved a long time holding on to that sin. He should have well been done with you by now. You're just tolerating excuses because you, you aren't bearing fruit that he's really alive. So elements of revival is there needs to be proof of the fruit that he's alive in your life. But the devil will sneak in with his, his wisdom and just act like we can live any way we want to, just love him. Number two, I guarantee you, anytime you study the history of revival, you will find the influence of flesh almost more powerful than the influence of the Spirit. At any given move of revival where God starts stirring His people, you will find flesh. You will find people who say, well, the Lord said, and God told me, and the Lord told me, and I think, and this, and this, and everybody just begins to get fleshly. Well, I think we should have, and I don't think, and I feel like, and we should have. Because how do you destroy it? You influence people's emotions rather than being influenced by the Spirit. Number three, if you want to ruin revival, just get everybody so busy and distracted, they don't have time to work. They don't have time to do the work of the Lord. I'm just trying to keep my own business alive, much less keep His kingdom. Number four, you got to have a teacher. got to have somebody mature enough Somebody seasoned enough, or if we're not careful, we end up with David Koresh buying guns, talking about Jesus coming back. And then the final is the kingdom work. The kingdom is the work. As we build this corner and we let God build this corner and we do all we can do, at the end of the day, we're not building Believer's Church, we're building the kingdom. And if somebody leaves Believer's Church, we don't lose somebody, hopefully, and they go to another church, hopefully they are still in the kingdom. They just need to go serve somewhere else because it's a kingdom idea so that it's never my people versus their people, my church versus their church. It's just us, and this happens to be the, the green box God puts you in and planted you here. So I'll talk about the rest later. I'm going to ask Michael to come on up. I'll give these to you later, but I want to give you this. This is what I had last week to share with you. And this is what we're going to pray over tonight. And we're just going to go into a time of worship and prayer. And as I've said before, it, it is just a time to not be introverted, but extroverted. 
that, that we will not just pray for ourselves, but every Sunday we are, we are praying over this house because we believe that as we own our 50 feet, God is going to increase His house. God wants dead people to find life and He wants living people to be revived. That's what He wants. And so we can pray, God, revive this house. God, revive the workers. God, revive the leaders. God, revive us with power to own our 50 feet. And then God, display yourself. Show yourself strong. Show yourself. Prove you're alive. God, heal people. Deliver people. And so that's been the intention of Wednesday night, not to teach another 30 minutes, but to begin to bathe this thing in prayer together and to see that God will do something supernatural. Now, specific. Specifically. And I want you to hear my heart on this. If if we really believe what we believe, then the church should always be adding new people. Because it's living. It's a living being. The church is alive in Him we live and move and have our being. Therefore, a healthy church should always be bringing in babies, new life, and those of us that are already living should be maturing in life, and all of us that are maturing in life should be going out the door bringing new life back in. Therefore, if a church is healthy, we should be consistently growing. Anytime we stop growing, we would have to say two things have happened. Number one, there's no more sinners on the planet. They're all born again. Or number two, God's people have quit working because we're out of room and we can't handle it. And that could be true. We, we don't have enough leaders and we're packed out. So what I want to tell you is, I, my heart is there's enough hurting people that need the life that we say we have. And on Sunday morning, we're pleasantly full. I think first service, we, we had 75% full. Second service, I think we had 220-something people, but only 211 chairs. And so people were standing on the wall until all the youth exited. But that's not the end goal. The end goal, how many of you believe there's people that need life? All right, so I don't foresee in my thinking that we're going to hang people from these rafters. Well, put a chair up there, preacher. I neither do I want to be arrogant and go, well, well, I like it the way it is. I don't, I don't want more people to come. I understand that too. But that oft, often says, so you're okay having life, but you don't want other people to have what you have. So that can be, that can be very stubborn if we're not careful. I love my life. I love my church. I love, I love my worship, but I don't want anybody else to know about it. I want to keep it to myself. So therefore, what we're going to pray tonight is next year, I think it's February 9th, I don't have the date, I'll give it to you, we're launching a, a, a new church plant. But we're not going to do a church plant in Carrollton because we would have to buy a building and we would have to buy land and that's more money and that's a bank and that's a, or go to Hiram. We're going to launch a church plant right on this corner. And we're going to do it on a Saturday night. And we're going to have a Saturday night church, believers church, church plant and we're going to win new people to Jesus Christ. My prayer has been we're going to fill it up with 150 new people who don't already go here who want to know the life of God Almighty. 
not just shift a few around from Sunday to Sunday, you know, Saturday night and some from Saturday back to Sunday because we're not careful. We just shift people around, but nothing's really happening. So what I want to do is not sneak up on you. I want to say, let's begin to pray. Now, here's what we have to pray. Here it comes. Uh, there's coming a congregation who doesn't want to just to do church. Is that us? I don't want to just do church. But to press for the high calling. What is the high calling? We would display His wisdom to our generation. Now, here it comes. This was a prophecy given to us. Prepare your mind. Because if I'm not careful, I'll keep thinking, I just like my little church. I don't want to be something else. I love it just like it is. I, I understand that, but God, prepare my mind. Prepare your body, prepare your soul, and prepare your emotions. So I don't want to be naive and think, wow, we can just run this church and not understand there will be a warfare mentally with our perceptions, a warfare with our emotions, and the end result is I want to reach for what God has. Well, right now, the short-term reach is we have 10 acres of land out there, plenty of room to build a new sanctuary, but right now, we're going to take steps of God keep bringing us the harvest. Stand up with me, if you will. I'm going to leave this on the TV. I'm going to ask as Michael just leads us in worship tonight. We'll pull the lights down a little bit. You can sit and pray. You can walk and pray. You can sing and worship. Raise your hands. But I want to pray specifically for these three things. Prepare your mind, your body, and your emotions. And then pray the prayer, God, help us reach the summit. Help us display your wisdom. Guard this place. Ask God to put angels around it as we often do. I asked for this last week. Pray for Robin and I. Pray for Phil and Alicia, Jennifer, Bill, Nessa and Matt, Michael and Olivia, Vanessa, Marlene. Pray for those that God has planted here. Pray, pray for those that, that lead the ministries, that God would keep us and guard us and we wouldn't take it for granted. Pray for those Christians that have dropped out of church. They've been hurt. They've been disillusioned. And they just act like, well, it's just a gathering. Pray for that. God will give you the name of that person. And let's believe that on our watch, that God has left us on this planet to be part of His eternal plan that at least when we're done, we could hear him say, you did a good job. Well done. You did a good job.